I think so. Actually, one of my coaches, my spirit coach was like, you know, you've been doing the work of 20 generations of healing <laughs> in your mother line. And it was, you know, we, we need each other to reflect back some things. And so I was like, wow, <laughs> it was a few generations, but years are <laughs> oh my gosh, mm-hmm. okay. I am resilient at AF. Welcome to the Raw and Wild Hearts, a place where the raw, the unfiltered, the wild hearts gather to celebrate triumphs and hardships, learn from each other, grow together, and break down a culture rooted in fear. We will talk, we will laugh, and we will lean on each other about everyday life experiences that we could all use a little support through, and then we'll bask in the wild, magical beings that we are. My philosophy is that by embracing the dark, we may just let in the light. I am your host, Lori Rising, healer, educator, writer, adventurer, retreat leader, birth defender, and animal enthusiast and activist, along with my wild heart sidekick kitty, Jesus the Brave. We'd like to invite you to get excited about the wild heart revolution. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. It's called A Lineage Disruptor with Jocelyn Gordon. It's a super powerful conversation to support us in dropping into the gravity of the conscious and subconscious wounding and patterns that may be handed down through our lineage, how we can intentionally disrupt those patterns and doing it from a place of center and ultimate love. It really highlights the incredible magic that's held in so many ways through relationships incarnations, human experiences, and intentional living. Jocelyn's vulnerable wisdom shines in the most gorgeous of ways, y'all. But first, thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time and energy. I hope you're getting some magical support from the creations I release into the world. Do make sure to go back and listen to the previous podcast episodes because I've had some of the most amazing and aligned guests here with some fantastic insights and guidance that they share. I also have an email list with a five-week living pain-free challenge. It's an accumulation of tips and knowledge from my 20 plus years as a healthcare practitioner. And when you sign up, you receive all of the rad downloads from certain episodes this season, as well as a talk about the importance of mirror work. If you like the guided work I do, definitely check out my YouTube channel. There's guided meditations, body and energy movement videos, soon to be van build and life videos, and in general, inspirational stuffs. I do have a Patreon page as well that starts at $3 a month. I send out bonus audio from the podcast interviews and little gifts like the bomb affirmations recording I'm about to release in May. If you want to support my offerings and mission, this is a great way to do it. I'm definitely planning to put more focus into this podcast so soon, like next month, since my van will be built and I'll be onto the biggest rebirth of this year. Well, let's be real of my life here in this human body. And this is where I want to focus on being someone in your life that lights up your energy, hope, and soul alignment in this wild human ride. I'm dropping fully into my soul's calling of destroying this culture of fear to uncover all of us magical humans that are underneath. I'm beyond grateful when you share my mission with others because, oh my goddess, do I want to change this world with a wild heart revolution. 
Heart-centered living is so gosh dang yummy. Okay, so let's just chat about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, a professional counseling network in the comfort of your own home. Y'all know I'm a huge advocate for mental health support. It can unlock some of the deepest programming that we didn't even know was there, like the subconscious programming that we talk about today. My own mental health sessions have taken me into deep healing spaces. I'm forever changed by my commitment to showing up every week, even when it's scary or overwhelming, or committing to getting back on the schedule when I drop off. BetterHelp wants to facilitate vibrational matches so they make it super easy to change therapists at any time. They ask you very specific questions to try to find those perfect matches so you can get to work digging into your unique code. The telehealth appointments are private and more affordable than traditional counseling, and they do offer financial aid for those in need. Now more than ever, online appointments are the norm, and BetterHelp is perfect to access more diversity in therapists and accessibility in general. They truly want you to have an easy and supportive experience. So if this telehealth platform is for you, join millions of peeps making their mental health a priority and a normalized part of this human experience. As a Wild Heart Warrior, you can get 10% off your first month when you go to www.betterhelp, that's H-E-L-P.com forward slash raw and wild hearts. The link is always below in the show notes as well. Okay, on to today's episode. Called a Yoga Rebel by Yoga Journal Magazine, Jocelyn Gordon is known for her joyful integrations of dance, yoga, and meditation, Hoopini and Bhakti Boogie Yoga. She has toured nationally with Wonderlust, is a six-time presenter at the Bali Spirit Festival, has worked with Academy Award-winning actresses Halle Berry and Marissa Tomei, and was recently featured on Apple News as the meditation guide for the Essence Magazine Virtual Wellness House. The mother of two young queens and an advocate for peaceful birth, maternal, and infant well-being, Jocelyn supports birthing people in up-leveling their health before pregnancy. As the course doula, Jocelyn coaches healers and movement educators to create their first online course and teacher training programs. Her work supports women with fertility, embodiment, and leadership. Visit www.hoopyogini.com and email jocelyn at jocelyngordon.com to set up a free 20-minute alignment session to explore one-to-one coaching. Please welcome Jocelyn Gordon. Hello, Jocelyn. Thank you for joining the Wild Heart Revolution. I just, I want to shimmy. I'm going to show my shoulders when you say that. <laughs> I know. I wish everyone could see it. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so excited that we made this happen, that we're here. It's unfolding divinely in the time that it needs to. So thank you for being here. Mm, thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to sit with you today and to connect with your community. Ah, yes. So let's start with a toast or a prayer. Yes, please. To the wild heart warriors in our light, especially our dark, and in all of our magic and glory. May we continue to elevate consciousness through honesty, humor, humility, gentle care, soul-wrenching growth, and ownership, and to us, and to being the intentional and sacred disruptors in our lines. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm have a little cacao there, which is how I connected with you. I (laughs) found you through a cacao ceremony. Um, I 
don't even remember who it was. Maybe it was like Firefly or something like that. Yeah. Okay. And I was reading through everyone's bios and yours struck me. And so I jumped on your Instagram. The very first picture that I saw, I think was of your eldest daughter. And I read the caption and I was hooked. I was in, I was like, yes, I want to talk to her. This is so important. It's so important. And I don't know that we really value what you're talking about here as a culture. So let me just start with your quote, if that's okay. Please do. (laughs) From a very young age, three or four, I knew I was a disruptor in my lineage with the mission to renegotiate the mother-daughter way of relating within my maternal line. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, words to me can be so yummy. Like those words that just like speak to the depth of your soul. So let's talk a little bit about that because it seems very, it feels very intentional and it feels like this is something that you've been working on for maybe lifetimes. I think so. Actually, one of my coaches, my spirit coach was like, you know, you've been doing the work of 20 generations of healing (laughs) in your mother line. And it was, you know, we, we need each other to reflect back some things. And so I was like, wow, <laughs> it was a few generations, but you're saying, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. okay. I am resilient at AF as, we are, <laughs> as women. So yes, it's just, it's been, you know, did I decide to do this? Probably before spirit. Yeah. Before I had incarnated. Absolutely. And then um, I just, I do remember looking in that mirror, you know, memory is fiction, but I have this deep recollection of deep moments of inquiry in the mirror as a young child. Like, how did I get here? (laughs) How did I get these people? How did those people get their people? How did I land in this socioeconomic environment and others and who, how does this, wow. And um, also kind of seeing, I remember, you know, in, in the mirror where you can like the medicine cabinet and you can put the mirror in front of the mirror and it's like forever you get the reflection. Mm-hmm. I remember um, those moments in my grandparents' home and um, just, I don't recall seeing anything specific, but I just remember feeling like whatever my mom and her mom went through, whatever they went through, there's some kind of betrayal, something or other. Um, There's a lot, there's absolute deep love and fierce love. And I was just attuned, there was this betrayal vibe. And um, my mom and I ended up with ours (laughs) and our uh, unfolding. Um, But fortunately, I just had those moments as a youth of being like, yeah, this stops with me, I don't know how but it's going to stop. And it's been an unfolding. Um, I have two daughters, one is 20, one is five. So with the 20 year old, she will, she will tell me, she's like, mom, you messed up here. You messed up there. Like she just doesn't hold it back. My little Capricorn, you know? Um, And and I'm like, you know, you get these grand downloads and then you still have to deal with the reptilian brain and then not necessarily having obvious guides or examples. Um, for how to shift, shift the dynamics. So uh, lots of doses of forgiveness, <laughs> compassion. Yeah. It's interesting because also I think 
as we drop into a space of trust in divine unfolding and timing, those things go together very powerfully, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, our reptilian brain or our control brain wants to know like, how can I make this change now? How can I shift it now? But that's not really how the universe opens up. That's not really how our lives and healing patterns release. You know, there's, there's so much participation from so many places, but we have to be the initiators, the disruptors, the intentional disruptors. That's what I love so much about it. When I read your words, I was like, oh yeah, this is sacred and this is intentional. And uh, there was something else that, that struck me as you were saying, when you were a child and you were looking in the mirror and, you know, you were seeing like infinity and like, how did all of this come to be? I was, I had a light bulb and I was like, oh my gosh, when I was a kid, the thing that kept coming up for me was I couldn't understand why we were in such competition, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why is the, why is our country better than other countries? Cause I kept thinking people are born randomly wherever they're born. And so how is anyone better than somebody else? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I could never get behind that whole, like rooting for ourselves and not rooting for the world. Yeah. So that is where we should be lifting everyone up mm -hmm. no matter where we are. And especially if we're born somewhere with privilege mm -hmm. and with access to resources that other people do not have. Absolutely. And you know, that's such a delicate, it's an interesting dance as well. I lived in Indonesia for four and a half years and um, there's a symbiotic relationship, I would say, well, amongst all beings, but like the tourists and um, the indigenous people, like the people who live there, the Balinese, and figuring out that dance of like how to support and, well, where do I want to go with this? <laughs> I want, my feminine brain wants to go back to a time when I was eight and my grandmother took me to Acapulco. And I was born in Bermuda. This was, I would go back and forth to Bermuda, but this was like my first like big trip out of all that with my grandmother and very memorable moments, including my grandmother who was basically a narcoleptic. <laughs> me being on the airplane, watching her Bloody Mary tilt towards me being hypervigilant. <laughs> like, mama, I'll get to the point in a moment, but <laughs> memories. And uh, me finally falling asleep and only to wake up to the, you know, Bloody Mary on my leg. But anyway, um, we were in Acapulco and that was like the first time driving from the airport to where we were staying that I saw like extreme poverty, like really like, you know, cardboard homes kind of thing. And that was really eye-opening. And uh, there's a little girl and I, we connected on the beach. She was, um, you know, a resident of Acapulco. We didn't speak the language. I didn't speak Spanish. She didn't speak English, but she was pedaling on the beach, same age, maybe younger than me. And I was like, wow, like this is deep, you know? Um, and so I, I, I took $20. This is a lot of money back. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, 81, 82, whatever. I stole $20 from my grandma. I was Robin Hood, okay, um, <laughs> from my grandmother's purse. And I gave the $20 to the young lady. And, you know, I think about this every once in a while. That's a lot of money. And mm -hmm. a lot of money in 1980 to a young uh, girl peddling on the beach or begging on the beach. And so sometimes I look back and I'm like, dang, what did I do? Like, did that help? Because mm -hmm. what if she like went home, this is all going to come full circle <laughs> somehow, but I'm like, what if she went home and like, she would like the bar was raised 
maybe she got in trouble. Maybe like her parent was like, what did you actually do for this $20? Mm. What were the expectations um, of her again? um, It was like, yeah, that's kind of a trippy moment. Today, we're talking about memory in our cells and DNA. We're talking about ancestral trauma, intergenerational trauma. So it's no surprise to me that already the cells are starting to open up and bring back memories, right? Because that's the energy that you and I are flowing completely. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in, here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but what you were talking about, I want to say, when we spoke before, we had a little pre-chat conversation. And the first thing that struck me when you were talking about your daughters um, was that you have come into this life choosing to mother for generations. I remember you said that. You're like, you've been mothering your whole life, your whole adult life. And I'm like, you're right. I have. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a beautiful choice. You know, even though it may have not been conscious, it's a, I, I believe we choose where we're going to go in this life when we do incarnate and when we come in from spirit into the human body. And when I see that with people, that always strikes me because I'm like, wow, that's a big job that you chose to come in for. Mm -hmm. and to do it primarily as a solo parent. Right. And you had also shared with me that you were raised primarily in a matriarchal line as well. Definitely. Um, My grandparents were married, you know, and they definitely showed us like that rock Mm -hmm. of presence. And um, my grandfather's mom, he didn't really have the opportunity to know his mom. And then again, my mom and my grandmother and my great grandmother had their their own thing. Um, But yeah, this, the mother line is strong. And as you can see my, my picture up there, I, when I walk, when I look through my house, it's just, it's all mother, it's all the medicine wheel of my mom, the crone, you know, me, the mother, my daughter, the maiden and Sienna, the girl like that, this is my life. Mm. And it is um, continuing to reveal itself to me, that choice that you mentioned and how powerful it is, this um, initiation to the medicine wheel in such a such an amazing way Ooh. and it's like no wonder though it inspires my work I'm like my work is all about the circle the hoop and the medicine wheel and these these rites of passages yes that gives me chills like I'm looking at this beautiful photo uh that she has behind her of you and your two daughters wow. and it's there's just a flow to it there's an energy that's so beautiful like I can feel the breeze I can feel the wind in there it's tangible when I look at that I want to share one more quote that you said after this, because I think this is really important. And you said, I have occasionally (laughs) fallen into default patterns of relating. However, I'm not afraid to apologize and re-aim my arrow to the heart of things. Yeah, that's a very true statement. Yeah, I have the Capricorn who will hold the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's such a human statement. That's the thing. We're really combining here our divinity, our higher consciousness with our human body and our human form, you know, and as we bring those two together, there is this harmony that we need to find because we can't be in one or the other. We can, but it it would be really hard to be on this earth plane if we're only in one or the other. So really bringing those two together in such a powerful way is beautiful. And I do want to do a quick um, shout out here. And I want to shout out to all of the male listeners, because I think that there can be a lot of uh, support in this conversation. I was thinking about it right before we started today. And I thought this could be really supportive for you to even 
open up to your matriarchal line, like start to understand your matriarchal line in a deeper way. But it can also open up to healing your patriarchal line by mm -hmm. opening up to more of the divine feminine, right? Because that divine feminine has been really dampened and really squashed for a long time because of the type of control culture that we've had, right? This linear, this competition, the scarcity culture. Mm -hmm. So as we open up the divine feminine and then we combine it with the sacred masculine is where we really find that power. And I think that convergence of our divinity and human form together. And so I think this could be a really powerful conversation for all genders, everyone out there that, because we are all a part of a lineage and this is really important information. So tell us more about how you really came into the power of this. So you started as a, as a child, you were questioning it and you, you know, it was something that was just coming from your cells. And then you feel like you're, you just kind of flowed into this line of work. Yeah, I would say it was ordained, anointed. Did I have a choice? I have no idea. Um, I've always been in the healing arts my entire life. So um, also around the age of five, I remember sitting uh, next to my grandmother's reflexologist. My grandmother's name is Corinne, my, her reflexologist, uh, her name was Bernice. And I remember her little stool and she noticed that I was expressing interest in reflexology and healing. And so I received like this five-year apprenticeship. I had no idea that that's what was going on. It was just Bernice is over and she's going to show me how to massage my grandmother's feet. And so I literally am still to this day, the family foot masseuse. <laughs> it's like a thousand percent expected of me. And it's also a really great gift that I can give. So when my grandmother passed away, I really didn't have much, when my great, great grandmother passed away though, that was hard. I mean, that was my first introduction to like grief and loss. And that was my Nana and Nana's are so hugely immensely powerful. So, um, and my, my great, my grandmother, my mom, Corinne, when she passed, I was like, oh my gosh, it wasn't until she passed that I realized how close we were. And I was like, wow, we were so close. And I have both my grandparents' passports um, and my grandmother traveled to Russia in like the 60s and the 70s, like places unheard of, especially for like, not unheard of, but in terms of travel, especially for women, women and then women of color. She was going through, she was going through Afghanistan. She went all over the world. And so when she passed, I was like, oh my gosh, she got her passport to the next like realm. I'm so, I was so happy for her. So um, I would say that relationship with my grandmother um, that just really contributed to the unfolding, really put me on the healing path um, as, a, as a somatic wisdom coach and guide, inclusive of massage yoga and dance therapies. Uh, and energy work, and then two pivotal um, initiations in early childhood. I was uh, epileptic from uh, having seizures from ages eight to 10, uh, undiagnosed at age 12. And there was a moment that I remember waking up in my sleep, becoming lucid in my sleep to these sensations of I'm about to have a seizure. And they would happen at about 2.33 a.m. And my mom was divorced at that time. I just remember like, <sighs> I'm gonna have to crawl out of the bed. I, my motor skills aren't that great when I'm in this state. I'm literally gonna have to crawl and like crawl to my mom's room, crawl to wake her up. We're gonna be up and we're gonna have to like, it's gonna end right before sunrise. We have to go to work, we have to just go to school. And I remember being in this lucid state and I was just like, no. <laughs> 
telling you know people like not today satan not today <laughs> i was just like no you're not doing that you're gonna have a good rest i was like no and that was the last seizure i ever had i was 10 years old um i did not tell anyone because i knew even in my innocence that the adults who love me and my caretakers would try to dismantle my own experience um, so I wasn't undiagnosed until age 12 after they had seen enough, you know, EEGs in my brain. Um, and I didn't have seizures for two years. They're like, she's undiagnosed. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I cured myself. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really powerful initiation. <laughs> yeah. Now, but every time I tell it, I'm like, it's just like, wow, that happened. Like that actually literally happened. So that was one. And then another initiation, I was um, molested by a friend of the family. Unfortunately, that's often how it happens. Um, it actually happened to be my mom's boyfriend. So um, what our, our betrayal arc and my mom, I have the utmost respect for her. We're in good relationship. I live 40 minutes down the road from her. We've worked through a lot of our stuff. We still have healthy, well, we have an appropriate, good for me at least, emotional and geographical distance, <laughs> geographic distance that mm -hmm. you now it's like, I'm here for you if you need me. And these are my edges in terms of emotional closeness. But yeah, our betrayal um, dynamic expressed itself in that, that, that timeline. But what I want to say first is that I remember being in this scenario and literally watching my voice fly away. Like, I, it's like I could see it, like my voice just left. It like tweeted away. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my own healing journey and holding space with and for others has been, and I think as, as women, what we are doing is we are reclaiming our voice and we are reclaiming our power, you know? Mm -hmm. I suggest give my, you know, give my power back or I'm taking it back and banging upon the earth, that kind of thing. And this big commanding voice. Yeah, and so those two pathways really were like, I guess like Shakti Pops or yeah, transmissions along the path and of course my children and going through those life cycles on the road. And then having a moment, I remember driving down Highway 1, I lived in Big Sur, California after my first marriage ended and before I moved to Bali, Indonesia where I knew I was gonna meet the father of Sienna who is now, uh, she's five. And I remember driving down Majestic Highway 1 and just this thought hit me and it was like, it's good to be here. And it was just really profound. I was like, where did that come from? And what, it, what? yeah, of course it's great to be on Highway 1 and like big <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. But it was like this profound la landing of having like returned to myself um, after these moments of initiation, which could also trigger dissociation, especially the sexual abuse. Um, to just be like, it's good to be here, like to, mm. I'm here, I'm here. Yeah, like yeah. to be home so. in your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I've had some of the most pivotal healing shifts while driving in my car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a hypnotherapist and I think that we go into the hypnotic state mm -hmm. when we're driving. Something else that I wanted to point out is, and I think this is really important to realize that we can be in a state of betrayal and in a state of love together, mm -hmm. right? I think that we've had such hard lines about like, oh, if I've perceived that you've done something to me, you're out. 
right? Yeah. It's like we have we've had such um, definitive like this is where we have to go. I'm controlling the situation, but when we release that control and just be in the fluidity of a situation, we can love someone and we can work through very deep wounds with them. Mm-hmm. We can be both. We can have both. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, there's a lot of support, at least in this current stage of remembering that probably most of us in the first world, Western world, just don't, we haven't had to really hold space for that. Like I can see indigenous elders in a circle holding space for these disruptions. And like you, you're gonna, you guys are gonna get through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've been taught to do everything, like you said, from that competitive linear space of such clear lines for so long. Oh, wow. That's, it just really hit me what you're saying. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, to be a disruptor, we Mm -hmm. need to have that space where we can still love someone and disrupt the lineage. Mm -hmm. Because I think that subconsciously, maybe we would have felt like, oh, if we're disrupting this, we're betraying them. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that we've been trying to take care of our parents for so long. Mm. right and our parents have been trying to maybe control us like they want us to do something or be something because of how their lives have been that that's like shifting now I feel that shifting now and I feel like exactly what you said when elders are able to hold that space then you don't have such pressure that you you know are hurting someone so deeply and Mm -hmm. then the love might be gone if you're actually stepping into that space of deep clearing uh, wounds and trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's ancestral healing. Yeah, how can we? And I feel like when, when uh, and you do this through hypnotherapy, I call it frequency shifting. It's like coming out of the default, you know, getting a different perspective and looking on the zip drive of the timeline. It's like, you can see the, story from a different perspective and I think I feel that perspective allows for healing and that's like that whole kind of phrase your pain into power happens um at least in my own observation in my work with others and my work with self and the space people have held for me is to get to that shifted perspective and uh have that equal balance between like the soma and the spirit yes Yes. And I think, I feel like, you know, as we're talking about elders and um, in indigenous communities, you know, they used to have the young girls that would start their cycle or that were bleeding, come to the circle and tell their stories and tell their dreams, because that was the power of intuition coming through. Like they would want to learn from women who were menstruating because the divine feminine is so active at that time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I hope that especially cultures like ours, we start to embrace that and open up to that even more. I think as our divine feminine is really coming online, my hope is that we start learning through that intuitive process. Mm -hmm. Like giving it the placement it really deserves in society to be that medicine. And I remember learning about a bit about DMT that it's released four times in our life. And that's when being born, including the birthing person. So being born, giving birth at death during orgasm, which, you know, the French call orgasm petit mort, so a small death. And then during menstruation, 
Um, so that really speaks to what you're saying, being the vision holders at that time, because our brain is just like, yes, you mm. are <laughs> That's so beautiful because, you know, I've been teaching childbirth for probably a decade now. And when I talk to families about it, you know, I'm really moved by the fact that this is one time when we get to touch a place in the ethos that we don't get to in everyday life. Like, and whoever is supporting your birth, they can help you move more powerfully into that, or they can create a traumatic experience where you go away from that and everything that happens and you can probably attest to this especially with your two children everything that that happens from that point on is accessed from that point Mm -hmm. right so what you go through in Mm -hmm. childbirth in death all take you into your next place yeah and we've been hoodwinked we've been bamboozled you know all the the movie and the TV hype about what birth looks like and what death looks like. Someone gets shot or they get cancer and they're terminal and then, okay, say your goodbyes, we're gone. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen like that at <laughs> all. Like that needs to be sincerely readjusted in the media because it's like a huge cause of suffering for people. I mean, most people, my friend would say, well, everyone knows it's not true. Well, yeah, but this is what makes a huge imprint on society as a culture. Right. Um, You know, and it's such been such a gift. I was at my grandmother's, um, I was kind of like her death doula. Um, And, you know, it was such, and I was in my 20s. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But um, I just remember like, you know, anticipating the movies. Okay, we're taking her off of life support now. And like, okay, she's gonna, we're gonna say our goodbyes and she's gonna leave. No, <laughs> the leaving is a process for many. It's a process, just like the birth and the arrival. It's a process. And it's a beautiful process. Beautiful. That's the thing. Like, I love death doulas. I've always been obsessed with the Viking culture because of Valhalla because they had such reverence for the afterlife they actually like looked forward to it and so they lived their lives so much more fully and um, without fear because the next life was even better than this one like imagine for a moment that that's how we felt you know because we have such a grand fear of death here and you know when talking about the uh and giving birth and giving birth. Oh yeah. When talking about that sensationalism culture, even if our conscious mind knows that it's not true, it's on the TV, our mm-hmm. subconscious mind doesn't. Yeah. And our child mind doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right? We're taking in those messages as we're really forming in this human body with this state of consciousness for this ride. And that's all being accumulated over and over and over. Repetition is key to most things. Like that's as a hypnotherapist, that's something that we learn and we're so repetitive in our culture. So what are we repeating? What is, yeah. What's the message you're taking in over and over because that will manifest itself at some point, even if your consciousness is trying to hold it down, it will come out at some point. And I do recommend this with my clients, especially who are in the preconception stage uh, to connect with the energy of what wants to be born through them. And specifically if they're working with bringing in a child or partner. Um, And I think this is just great for anyone is be highly selective about your environment and what you expose yourself to. Um, When I was preparing for Sienna and when I was uh, preparing for her father, 
like I just I could not listen to mainstream music you know but I've all you know I just I can't listen I couldn't listen to the codependent misogynist of the I ache for you I can't live without you like yeah I get it but like no <laughs> like just be really selective about what you're tuning yourself to and um, make sure that your environment and they you know we say this too for women who are birthing you know be selective of the birth stories that you hear women who are dealing with fertility you know it's always finding that middle middle moving center um women over whatever that 35 or 33 who think they can't get pregnant got pregnant at 40 you know um without even trying i mean i was intentional about it but we got pregnant three months before we were trying to conceive. So just be really selective. And that doesn't always mean just delude yourself or put yourself around, you know, only the best, most positive, but you could do that. Like, just, just be very considerate of what you're putting into your psyche. Yes. Your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> just, in your mouth. <laughs> I think even more, it's like, we have, we're such a culture obsessed with like eating and like eating well and like, well, all that means and then like I mean, however our thoughts are are so detrimental um and the media can be so detrimental and all of that is uh that's consumption so be mindful about what you consume yeah I like to call it your stream of consciousness like what's your stream of consciousness you can see it in your algorithm right mm -hmm. you put something in your computer within 15 minutes you'll see advertisements for it so sure. what, what are the advertisements? If you're on your computer, what advertisements are coming through? There's your stream of consciousness. <laughs> uh, personal growth and marketing. <laughs> That's right. And roller skating and hula hooping. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I want roller skating to be coming through for me. <laughs> stories and birth stories. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So um, I have been intentionally healing my matriarchal line as well. And it's interesting because I was adopted. And so there's a really big process that's been revolving around that, around nature and nurture, around, you know, my adoptive family and my biological family. And it's interesting, though, when I look at um, my matriarchal line biologically, my mother lost her children by choice, but not always by choice. It was the seventies. I don't believe that like she wanted to give me up for adoption. I believe she felt like her circumstances predicated that she gave me up for adoption. Um, and I lost my children, not by choice. You know, they left before they became humans. They decided to take on wings, but that has been such a deep, deep wow. wounding and and process of going into that. And I think it can be scary to open up to those lines because you're not only opening up to what you've accumulated in your cells, you're opening up to the accumulation of those before you in your cells. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed, tell me this, because we're both pelvic floor therapists. And mm -hmm. so what I've noticed is a lot of us can put a stop to it when we start to feel that, you know, releasing and then it gets buried deeper, right? Mm -hmm. But when we actually release it, it can be wildly intense and mm -hmm. it goes. Mm -hmm. Do you experience the same kind of process? Mm. I mean, whether it be pelvic floor work or yoga therapy or those moments that you have in meditation, I've observed them in myself and in others, <laughs> you know, and 
Oh gosh, you just, you know, hopefully you have your inner spirit as your coach or someone's or someone else's there who are there again, holding, reminding you of like, you're go there, move through it. Mm-hmm. You're safe here. Um, there is fruit on the end, other end of this. You will not be stuck here. Like this is, yes, you can do it. Yeah. That's like, it's like being a doula. You can do this. It's like giving birth. Yeah. But you accepted birth. I mean, I know, like I'm saying, yeah, but I know, I know, you know, through your different initiations and, and supporting them. It's like, you get to that moment and something it's like, you want mommy, I want to go home. <laughs> you know, you have to go through it. The only way out is in. So mm-hmm. you are supported to really blossom in the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, that just brought me back to my birth and, you know, going through a birth that you don't want to go through at all because you know what's on the other side of that birth. But it's interesting, even when my daughter was born, the elation I felt I had given birth, even though she had grown wings, you know, and it's just, it's, I, I'm, I'm kind of sitting reveling in the beauty of it right now. And I know that I can, cause I'm so many years through that mm-hmm. grief, but I think that that's, it's almost bringing me back full circle to death mm-hmm. and the beauty that can be in death that we don't really learn in our culture. You know, it's not a message that we take in throughout our lives and especially throughout our childhoods that, um, it's the more that we can hold that space. And I love the word doula. Like, I feel like we should have a doula for everything, a life doula, I do. I agree. <laughs> but the more that we can hold that space, that transition of yeah. spirit mm. can be so powerful. It can be so elevated by us. And this is how we live now too, since, especially since COVID, I've been really trying to get the word out, like your vibration that you emanate can literally change your plane. It can change how people react. It can change how people feel, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of us just having this exchange, I can emanate a vibration to you that actually shifts the way that you are in your being. That's how powerful we are. Yeah, we are. (laughs) <laughs> and that's I think that's what we're wanting that that transmission and that transformative shift like you know just going back to the psyche of I'm here to do this thing but I don't exactly know how to do this thing I think a lot of us maybe not everyone I realize I'm in a very unique community um, sometimes I just think everyone knows the things I know or lives the way I live and then I'm like wow wow anyway but um I, I based on what I know and believe, I feel that even if it's not articulated, there is a hunger, a desire for the shift. There's so much, even if someone doesn't know how to do it, it's like, something's gotta change. Mm. Something's got to change. And whether it be Jesus coming back or you know a cataclysmic shift, or for some people they choose suicide because something needs to change so deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of us are, are feeling that desire so strongly. So, and, and this whole message of isolation, what a gift though through COVID again for many of us, not everyone though, wasn't that safe and good for a lot of people, but to have that opportunity to, that space to go inwards um, with 
some of the uh, destructive aspects of society, all the uh, busyness just taken out of the way, but also the lie of we have to do everything by ourselves in isolation and that we have to stay away from each other and it's not safe to be around each other and it's not safe to go outside. It's like that needs to shift. So I'm grateful that we can do this and offer this medicine via the portal of Zoom. And yes, this the shift is potent and can be felt through these um, the heart bridge that we're creating here. And I also feel called, it's like, get yourself community, like in the flesh. <laughs> Stat, if that's safe for you and the people in your home, but like really get yourself community. You know, I often grapple that whole saying, it's like you're you know, look at the five closest people around you. And yeah, that they tell you, that tells you, you know, your net worth and all this kind of stuff. And I agree with it. And then at the same time, I think that can be a really uh, just hard one, you know, because what are you supposed to do? Like you were saying earlier, just get rid of the five closest people in your life because they, you know, don't make X amount of money or, you know, they're not as health conscious as you, but maybe add some five more. <laughs> more. Yeah. <laughs> of people who are living in a way that you admire and would like to aspire to. Right. And so what was just coming to me as you were talking is like, I think that this is, I guess the gift that I kind of see in that part is that it's kind of offering us this ability to discern for ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we have all of this information coming and that's really hard because when when we get bombarded by these messages, we don't even know that we're taking the messages in and believing them so deeply. Mm-hmm. But also maybe being in isolation, maybe it can give us this access point to how do I really feel about this? What yeah. is my sovereignty in this? How what what kind of discernment do I need and how am I going to choose to move forward? And maybe even it gives us this opportunity to be very selective about the five people or about the 10 people that come in. So it kind of whittles down a lot of the noise that was in our communities before. I'm just spitballing here because as you were talking about that, I was like, wait a second, I'm starting to see some benefits like in how we could process through all of the, you know, pressure and sensationalism and how we can actually increase our sovereignty even more in making those decisions for our lives and for our communities. Yeah. What, what is your feeling when I, um, explicate sovereignty, it's like, again, just holding the duality and the, the oneness of the word. I'm like, yes to choose absolutely to recognize responsibility and I have a friend who's like well you know the whole conversation is well it's your choice it's their choice someone's in poverty it's their choice or if they're remaining in suffering it's their choice it's their responsibility but if we're all responsible then we're all responsible like if I'm responsible for me and you're responsible for you then we're all responsible (laughs) for like another tangent, the collective. Um, but when it comes to sovereignty, when I look at that word, I'm like, am I sovereign at all? Like my biological rhythms are influenced by the cosmology. <laughs> like my psychological state of being has been influenced epigenetically, um, culturally, you know, through the familial. Um, how sovereign am I? I was like, is this a lie too? 
Interesting. <laughs> this is a question mark that I've been holding for myself. Yeah, no, no. I it, It's interesting to hear you talk about it that way because as you're saying that, I'm like, okay, yes, yes, yes. Like all of that, all of it. And then I'm like, but we are here in these bodies to uncover our soul's purpose. And I believe that we can shift our DNA and cells. Like we are so magical. We can do that. But, but, you know, I think to me, the sovereignty is being extremely intentional. And also I see it as the cosmos, the support of the cosmos, as we're shifting out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius, it really is about dismantling these systems that have been put in place for a very few select people to benefit from. And that's where, when you said your friend was saying it's their choice, I don't believe it's their choice. I believe that it's because of what we have as a collective put into place. And we had put our, all of our power into, into the educational system, into the medical system, into the financial system, you know, and that is what I, I feel like the sovereignty is coming online to dismantle that where we're realizing, wait a second, they're not our savior. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't have to learn about birth because I'm hiring this birth team that's supposed to be in my best interest, but we've created a system that's not in our best interest and not in birth's interest. It's in their liabilities interest or in their profitability's interest, right? Yeah, the system's benefit. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my answer to that, but it's a really interesting question that you posed. And I think it's an interesting question for everyone to be feeling out because we are talking so much about like, oh, our sovereignty is coming online, but what about let's actually dismantle that and let's look at it. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't have like, this is, it's, it's a question. And does the question always need to be answered? I don't know, but just the question is this provides the space and how sovereign am I? Like, because, you know, there's a lot of conversation or divine feminine, like, that's definitely like a dialogue of con- of like that I wouldn't personally like raise my hand to be the expert about. <laughs> um, but definitely like choice and autonomy and radical, like self-responsibility. Absolutely. I love that you just said that Colin Bedell, who just, I just released his podcast. He was talking about radical responsibility and you know, when certain words you're like, oh yeah, they just hit you so deep. It's like, yeah, we haven't been in a place of radical responsibility for a long time. Again, because I, I feel like we, for years, hundreds of years, if not thousands, we put these systems into place yeah. that were really disempowering for us. And we just kind of you know, we created this culture where it was so fast paced and so stress filled that we had to just keep hustling in order to try to live, or I was even going to say live an American dream. You know, we, we got fed this, this rhetoric that was so destructive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking to that too, um, moving to Bali when, uh, in 2014 and, I've always been a a disruptor and I've always done things alternatively. (laughs) So, you know, um, but I was really struck in my four and a half years of living there. Of course, I'm living amongst expats as well as indigenous people of the island. And so, yes, there was still a bit of grind energy, but it, it really woke me up to like, wow, the matrix is so intense. Like, 
even like when you extract yourself or when I extracted myself out of an aspect of it, I could literally feel the grit of it just like humming and buzzing and like, wow, this is like a big field that I know it can, it's, it's warping, it's dismantling. Um, but those of us who have been doing that work of like getting out, whether it be like the hippies tune out, tune in, whatever, or, you know, what we are doing and, and what, um, the kids are doing these days it's like a it's a pretty big deal like to to drop out <laughs> or to, to not just you know physically extract yourself but then to do the dismantling work and I guess that's what the whole de a lot of the decolonization movement is about doing that dismantling of all these lies <laughs> that we've been told or the ways we've abdicated as you were saying our power to others this whole like you know, I'm, I work with the circle and the spiral. And one thing, again, I'm meditating on is like how in the circle, everyone is equidistant to the center. No one has more or less access to source, God, joy, love, harmony. Um, and, but yet we've been told all these years, aeons, you have to go to the middleman. You got to go to the man. You got to go to the middleman. You can't go straight to the father. You got to go to the son. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not on the door first <laughs> but with the whole this whole circle and just looking at geometry science whatever the science of the spirit everyone's equidistant and has the same amount of access so that's what I'm excited about right now <laughs> well and I think that when we really drop into the knowingness within ourselves that every human is here for a purpose. Mm -hmm. That to me is so important to keep at the forefront mm -hmm. of what we do and how we move forward in, you know, shifting policies and creating more equal opportunity and social justice and racial justice and systems mm -hmm. that are put in place for communities over profit. Mm -hmm. I spent so much time traveling internationally before COVID hit because it took me out of the matrix. Mm -hmm. I would just, it was like, I would just breathe and I would be like, oh, it just feels so good. And I always thought that maybe I had an affinity for community-based living, you know, and that was what had come through for lifetimes. And that's why I just enjoyed it so much. But as you're speaking, I'm like, oh no, I think it was just getting out of the matrix and feeling that relief. Yeah. I think almost, but mm -hmm. then when COVID happened, it was like, oh, something got turned on. Like mm -hmm. we're here. We can't go, we can't travel and get out for relief. So how do we change this? Which I think is a really big positive of this. Like mm -hmm. instead of vacating our current okay. system, mm -hmm. yeah. Or distracting ourselves from it. How do we actually be curious about it, stay in it and do the hard work? Yeah. I'm with you on that. How did you feel when you came back from Bali? Did you just jump right back into the matrix or was that a pretty difficult transition? Well, part of my going to Bali um, with my then 13 year old daughter was to expand ourselves as global citizens and um, for her to go to this awesome school, the green school in the jungle in Bali and for me to create, to take my business to the next level. So I really put a lot of energy in, and resources into Hupiogini being an online school. Um, so in terms of like my work or earning mindset, it was already like set up to be a digital nomad or location non-specific. 
Um, and so when I did come back to the US, I actually, before that, we left the island on the day um, one of the volcanoes exploded. It had, it, we did not plan it this way, our spirits did, but literally we were on our airport, on, on the way to the airport, it was like, uh, Mount Bator, um has exploded and like once that happens like you can't leave the island for a while because the smoke and such and all that but anyway we went to New Zealand um so which is where my husband's from we're separated now however my husband is from New Zealand I have family there and so we lived in New Zealand for six months I will tell you New Zealand is a different frequency I mean duh but it's a different New Zealand <laughs> I love New Zealand <laughs> I love one of the things I love about New Zealand and then I'll answer your question and just like the people there the people that I know there um, so many creative people um, it's like they're they're cool being baristas you know like you know there is a lot less of that well what are you doing like what are you doing they're like well I work at the I'm a barista and then like I just made my album and you know Johnny over here played the guitar and Jody over there you know and and you know come out over here did this <laughs> you know and just like cool we're good like <laughs> and so there's like um I'm not going to say this for everyone but like this living of but like with a lot less ambition but not in a bad way not because I do ambitions needed for growth or like that springtime energy that thrust desire forward but yeah, there's something very humbling about being in that environment. But then, and then I came back here and in terms of the matrix, what stood out to me when I moved back to America and I moved to Florida, which is my first time living here. So I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the South. I'm in like the South of the South in America is feeling the polarity of the matrix. Like just like, I mean, how it was affecting me and especially you know, it was it's the Trump administration in a red state, um, seeing Confederate flags around, um, a lot of, you know, make America great again. And, and like, I don't care, like, I'm not for any of them, because I don't think any of them, they're not the ones that are going to heal the system. <laughs> so for me, I don't care. I'm not going to argue about this one or that one. But just to see like the polarity, and the feel that and the feel like and then have this projected judgment to in order to keep myself safe psychologically or physically as a black woman, as a single black woman, as the mother of two black children, one who happens to be mixed race. Do you hate me more or less because my child's what dad is white? I don't know. How am I supposed to moderate myself around that? So that aspect of the matrix, not so much the hustle, mm -hmm. um, but that whole separation dynamic, that's what has really struck me. Yeah, it's so prevalent it's so uncovered but in order to heal a system it has to be uncovered yeah definitely it's like let's not pretend we're all pc because we're all not mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's good to know who you are and how you feel in advance something i want to say about new zealand what i was feeling at the end what you were talking about is that they have an ability to live in the present moment and i think that that's something that in our culture uh, it can feel a little uncomfortable you know, and that's where meditation is so supportive for us to get out of that like futuristic tripping mentality that we have so often here. But let's talk real quick about your hoop work, because I find it really beautiful in the way that you 
have talked about therapy through the circle or the the hoop is all about accessing creativity. And I think that's something that's so powerful when we can get out of like the left brain control brain and open up that right brain and creative brain and assimilate that into our lives. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a flow tool. Like surfing is a flow sport. Um, it's a flow tool and most of us have a positively nostalgic feel around the hula hoop as something playful something positive something cute something sexy sometimes entertaining there's usually some kind of good feelings and I do hear a lot of adults say you know but I can't I can't do that I can't do that um I'm like you can (laughs) you know and it's just it's such a great teacher for that part of to help uh an adult return to beginner's mind in this like we the risk dynamic is so low here it's just like it's so low just step into the hoop you know um and the work that I do with the hoop it's called hoop yogini it combines yoga with hula hooping and meditation and um, we infuse life coaching prompts and and powerful inquiry so you are having this holistic experience so there's utilizing the hoop as a prop um like a yoga prop that you're holding in your hands or you're playing with on your feet that's more for balance like a magic uh circle or a ballet bar or even as like a resistance tool to help you move and stretch into so there's that without even getting it on the body in those ways one might think the hoop has so many applications to support one's fitness and strength and then we also bring the hoop onto the body um from a, with a therapeutic perspective. So I really was, as my diverse background in the movement arts, um, when I was falling in love with the hoop, I was like, oh, let me bring the hoop up to my, or down to my groin space and, you know, massage my lymph area or like, let me, let me move the hoop up to my kidney adrenals. That's an area that's kind of hard to get to on your own for self-care. Like, let me bring the hoop to just above my breasts and get the, like intentionally work with my breath and let the hoop massage lymph under here. And let me play with the hoop around my neck. Like how does this hoop support my circulatory system? So the uh, system's uh, benefits of hula hooping is really the basis or a strong basis of my work in um, the teacher training program. And then we look at the hoop as a symbol, a portal to center, a portal to flow. It was me um, accessing the flow states as I was during my uh, three to five years of being in love with the hoop. I mean, I still am, but you know, just like any relationship, like those first three to five years, like I was obsessed with the hoop. <laughs> I, any pause was like, I was in that hoop and I was entering flow states like all the time. And that's when hoop yogini landed in me and so many other ideas. And during a recession, I ended up traveling around the world, teaching adults how to hula hoop and make earning, you know, a meaningful income doing that. And so, um, yeah, the, the hoop yogini combines all of that. Most of our students are and practitioners are ages 25 to 55, primarily women, and they're looking for a way to, you know, get fit in a fun and sensual way that's not boring. You know, probably most of us aren't like the treadmill kind of person that, that not necessarily bring a lot of joy to the specific demographic. A lot of the older women, especially 45 and up, looking for a way to reclaim their boundaries, to reconnect with their joy as they enter a new phase of life. Um, A lot of empaths and healers 
Um, this is also an energy modality as well as a fitness because we're working with the circle. You get into the toroidal energy, you drop into center, you're working with your hoop axis, your tree axis, you know, the tree of life. You really can like go places with this practice with intention as you speak. So there's a lot of applications. And then um, I'll just close to say it's um, when one advances to the teacher training, that's a lifestyle and leadership immersion because you're learning how to live from your center, move from your core and like teach and inspire from this sacred space that you've now practiced over and over and over how to, to access that you can just, you just go there. So there's a lot of trust building in self and in the process that people have a lot of wonderful things to say about how it benefits their life. So, mm. Yeah, I'm in, I'm going to yeah. do it. I want to well, sign up for classes. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> this is what I like about it is that it's dynamic. Um, you, you mentioned that because myself as a body worker, we are so linear focused and mm -hmm. that, and we repeat it over and over. Mm -hmm. And so the more uh, dynamic motion that we can get into our pelvis, the better we're supposed to be squatting to go to the bathroom and we don't, we can't usually. And so this is really important that we start doing even little things that get more of a circular motion with our pelvis. And this is perfect. I love this. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Like I'm in, yeah. I, I want to do it. So um, <laughs> let's talk about, we're going to get your details in a little bit, but let's talk about the last question, which is yeah. who would your dream guest be and why? Well, in this moment, it would be black elk. And, you know, he taught his teachings of the sacred hoop, kind of like the Rumi of the North American indigenous people and his vision about the tree in the center of the community and the sacred hoop being disruptive, but then it's coming and being, re being rebranded. He was like a prophet. So I'd like to sit with him and his people, not just him, but like in that, that bob of community. For this one, I think I'm going to just throw out John Barnes because I've been training with him for over 20 years uh, with his myofascial release, which is really emotional and physical trauma release of the cells. Yeah. And I mean, doing that work, I don't even know how to describe, like if I could get everyone to, if, if I could gift everyone with a fascial unwinding of traumas through the body it's the best natural high you've ever had. And I mean, you know, the deeper that we go into it, the more past lives come out and past life wounding and traumas come out. And it's really wild. It's wild and powerful. I remember when I did my first class on it back in like 2000, I guess, something like that. And I didn't really understand it yet. My friend was a dancer and five people were working on her. And as she started unwinding her body, she literally went up into the air. So if you can imagine five people had her on their fingertips, they weren't like no, in her like in a heavy way. Light as a feather, stiff as blood. Yeah. This yeah. is how we can levitate. Like yeah. I've told people I've levitated because through these unwindings, you literally move up into the air and your body releases. So they're just kind of holding their fingers up and she's wow. doing a dance above their heads. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it's like, it's art. And it's some of the deepest, most beautiful healing that we can access, you know, and it's such a powerful way to access it when we do it in our natural state. I mean, I think we're in a flow state when we do it, but when I look at plant medicine 
and then our natural flow state, you know, I would always prefer a natural flow state to get there. I think plant medicine is a great access point and it's a, it's a great support sometimes, but I find that this myofascia release, I've seen so many people just in an instant go into that flow state and just bring up things so deeply held in our cells and our DNA and our subconscious. And I just wish that everyone could experience even a fraction of this. So I just imagine I, like I haven't that. talked to him in a long time, but I imagine, you know, what he has seen yeah. throughout all these years of working with people has to be so incredible. And I highly recommend his book, Healing Ancient Wounds. I'm going to um, check this out. Yeah, it's, it's really fantastic. I was actually supposed to go do a training with him right when COVID hit and it got canceled. And oh. so, yeah, um, I'm hoping to get one in again soon because um, I'm going to look it up. Maybe I'll go. Yeah, that you should look it up and we can talk about it offline sometime because it's, it's pretty powerful and incredible. And it's hard to explain if you haven't actually like seen it and been a part of it. I didn't understand it until I saw that. And then it's like, once I saw it, my body remembered, Mm -hmm. and then I was able to go into that place. But you know, our control minds and our fear minds can be so powerful that they stop that access point for us. And so that's where I think um, representation in, in any form really helps us access things within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And that's that I can insert myself into that situation. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, let's move to telling everyone where they can get a hold of you, especially me. I'm, I really actually want to join into this class. So oh. give us your deets. Well, uh, Jocelyn Gordon one on IG, as well as hoop yogini underscore hoop yogini underscore worldwide. So the word hoop and the word yogini underscore worldwide, hoopyogini.com. Um, info at hoop yogini is a great email um, to connect with me about coaching, one-to-one coaching, teacher trainings. Uh, and I just gave birth actually to our new membership portal called the Inner Circle which is a self-care membership for conscious leaders, space holders, healers, lovers, mothers, educators, you, all of us are holding (laughs) um, to come and fill our cup and lead from overflow with teachings from the circle, the hoop and the medicine wheel. So it's a virtual online movement studio for intentional living, excuse me, specifically designed for leaders to come in and nourish themselves. And so there's four times weekly live hoop yogini classes. There's a new moon healing circle, no hooping in that. Um, actually, yeah, there is hooping in that. Um, there's an online personal retreat. I just led the first one yesterday called Enter the Medicine Wheel. So all of our personal growth will be really focused around the sacred symbol of the circle because it has everything to teach us. Um, and it's really profound. So I invite you and Lori, I think it's a great place for you to start. Or I have my um, five video series called Hoop Yogini Foundations and Flow. And that takes you through three foundational vinyasas with the hoop and then two guided movement meditations with the hoop. So you've learned kind of like these katas, these structures, and then you come to realize, oh, I can flow with all of these moves and actually make or create an in-the-moment dance that I can learn how to live from this space because it's all about coming back to center. Every time you feel yourself thinking or getting inhibited, uncertain, and self-doubt, you just pause, you embody your centered pose, and you trust that from that point, you know, anything is possible. So um, those are two great places to start with the medicine of Hupyogini. 
Mm, so beautiful. Really, it just feels like that's the access point to everything because mm. we're in these human lives. They're raw, they're wild. We're in these human bodies. So we're always going to have fluctuations. But finding that center and having, you know, having a guidance back to that center where it becomes so quick and easy and flowing. Yeah. Awesome. Hopefully we can all meet in the circle somewhere through your work, my work and all the blessed offerings, any of the blessed offerings out there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have such a beautiful day, Jocelyn. Thank you. All right, y'all. Cheers. Peace and love. Be well. And with that, let's normalize the struggles, celebrate the quirks, and lean into the light. From myself and Beezus the Brave, happy Wild Heart Revolution, friends. Like, just black elk that I just, I'm like, yeah, I'm in, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Black elk and Bob Marley. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's great. Nobody has ever said Bob Marley before, and I really like that you just brought him in.